Rachel Gould's dead, and you know he wants to come back. But Pippi destroyed the Lazarus peas, and he wants one back. The dead will rise from the graveyards. They will raise a blighted ruckus in the streets in a zombie attack. There are peaches in the trees and old magnolia leaves. Batman has to do this all the time. Chris's repertory and Jerry tells a story. Come and join the party. Help us break it down. Bat books, bat books, bat books, bat books, bat books, bat books for beginners. Bat books, bat books, bat books, bat books, bat books, bat books for beginners. Welcome to this edition of TBU Bat Books for Beginners, episode 165. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we're your hosts. On Bat Books for Beginners, we will examine story arcs with Batman and related characters. We'll give you the historical background of the book, break down the plot and the art, and give you our opinions so you can decide for yourself if they're worth a read. Today's Bat Book is Batman Year One, Rachel Ghoul. Chris, tell us a little bit about these books. Thank you very much, Jerry. Hello, Batfans. Thank you very much for downloading and spending some time with us today. Year One, Batman Rachel Ghoul was a softcover, 104-page trade paperback that was originally cover dated February 2006, with a cover price of $9.99. As far as I could determine, the trade paperback only had one printing. It reprinted the two-issue, two-part story that came out in the Prestige or Dark Knight format a year earlier, and had cover prices of $5.99 apiece for the two individual issues. It should be noted that we're moving chronologically here, and I believe Rayshaw Ghoul was last mentioned on this podcast when Jerry and I covered the Batman Death and the Maiden story. Yep. For our creative team, we have as follows, and if you've listened to the past episodes of our podcast or have a, been a comics fan for a while, some of these names are going to be familiar to you. Devin Grayson was the writer. Paul Galassi was the penciler, and he also provided the cover artwork. Jimmy Palmiotti was the inker, Phil Balsman was the letterer, and Laurie Cronenberg did an outstanding job as the colorist and separator here. We've mentioned both Devin Grayson and Paul Galassi before when Jerry and I covered the War Games story arc, but some quick abbreviated refreshers on both both from a personal recollection and some readings. I think Devin Grayson became a Batman fan when watching Batman, the animated series, and citing a connection to the episode Robin's Reckoning. Now, this particular volume that we're covering would be around the time she stopped writing much of her Batman and related Batman work, which she had done for about six years prior, the bulk of her comics published. And that's a shame, because I really love her writing and the handle she has on all the Batman characters. Her first cited credit is a story in Batman Chronicles number 7, which came out in 1997. The most recent credit I could find for Devin Grayson was a Doctor Strange novel that came out last year called Doctor Strange, The Fate of Dreams. Oh, and recently, Image Comics reprinted her Vertigo work called User just recently as well. One of her creations is the character Damian Dark, a recurring villain who appears on the CW series Arrow and DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Now, Paul Galassi is one of my favorite artists. I first encountered his work in the 1970s on Marvel Comics' Sang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu title. He's known for his distinctive style and drawing. And he did one of the first graphic novels called Saber for Eclipse Comics in 1978. In the 80s, I loved his work on the Valkyrie title, also for Eclipse Comics, which was a spin-off of Airboy. 
Now, I don't know if we've mentioned Jimmy Palmiotti's name on this podcast before. He's got a very long list of credits. He started as an inker, then he went to writing and penciled. He's worked for Marvel, some independent titles, and DC Comics. He also appeared on a podcast called Where Monsters Dwell for a number of years. I should say he's probably best known presently for his artistic and creative collaborations with his wife, Amanda Connor, and their work on Harley Quinn, and prior to that, on Starfire and Power Girl. I should also note there also exists a story in the series of books, and it's called Year One Batman Scarecrow. Now, both of these books, the one we're covering today and Year One Batman Scarecrow, no doubt coincided with the movie screen release of the film Batman Begins, which came out the same year. I'm not sure if Year One Batman Rachel Ghoul is on Comixology, and I don't think the use of both of the terms, quote, Year One and, quote, Batman both being in this title, did this book any favors, as someone may associate that with a different story entirely and or confuse this book with something else. That's not a good thing for a book, old or new, trying to find an audience, past or present. Yes, this book's title starts with the letter Y, but depending on how your local comic shop files their back issues, conceivably they could put it with their Batman books or file it under R for Rachel Ghoul, as that's printed in a more dominant way on the cover. If you're interested in possibly obtaining this as a physical copy, my advice would be to shop around for the original individual issues, as I found both parts from online vendors for much considerably less than the cost of the trade paperback. While great deals can usually be had on Amazon.com, I would avoid using Amazon here in this scenario, as their prices are uncommonly exorbitant, hmm. two to $4,000 in this case, and I have no wow. idea why. Yeah. If you insist on trying to obtain the physical copy of the trade paperback so you have the story in one volume, there are some other online vendors other than Amazon that did have it slightly higher than the $9.99 cover price. This currently has a 3.5 out of 5-star rating on Amazon and the same rating on the Goodreads website. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you, Jerry. Oh, thanks, Chris. So we're going to talk about this story after a few messages from our friends. When you talk about comics, does it sound something like this? Look, you can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered red kryptonite yet. And you uh, you can't put the number 98s with the 300s. Lori Lamaris hasn't even been introduced. Or maybe it sounds a little more like this. You think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? What are you, cracked? Why not? I saw the other day he was carrying five elephants in one hand. Boy, you don't know nothing. Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. No way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. Yeah, maybe you're right. It would be a good fight, though. Hello, I am the constantly caffeinated Clinton Robison, and my comics discussions can go to both extremes, but generally fall somewhere in between. On the Coffee and Comics podcast, I will review comic stories and other comics-related topics that can be enjoyed over a cup of coffee. So pour the coffee, or other beverage of choice, and join me on the Coffee and Comics podcast, available on iTunes and coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. Welcome back. So, let's get into the story of Batman Year One, Ra's al Ghul. Two armed thugs are robbing a convenience store. One mistakenly shoots and kills the other. In the morgue, the corpse becomes alive. Batman gets a call from Alfred, telling him that he has received a letter from Ra's al Ghul, who is dead. In the letter, Ra's tells Batman that humans are like a cancer. When they die, 
the cancer is under control. When they can't die, the cancer kills the host. Since Raish's plan is to seriously cut down on the human population, he has made it so that people will no longer die. Counterintuitively, not allowing people to die will ultimately decrease the population. Batman saves a couple from a Gotham building fire, but the man seems more concerned with saving his car, making Batman think about Raish's comments about humans being cancers. Raish's letter talks about how he visited Japan in the 1500s and called upon Siobo, who has a peach orchard whose peaches give immortality. However, they only give fruit every 1,000 years. She won't meet Raish, however, and says that he will have to wait. And he does. For a long time. Through many seasons. She finally allows him to see her gardens. He sees a man, Shino, cutting down one of the peach trees. Siobo allows this so they can find the secret of the peaches of immortality. Raish stops him and kills him with his axe. Since Siobo had eaten a peach, he can't die, but he also can't be revived without more peaches, leaving him in a distressing middle state. Siobo is upset at Raish for killing Shino, but Raish fights off her guards who become horribly wounded zombies. Raish finally beheads Siobo and throws her still living head into a lake. Corpses all around Gotham are coming back to life. It is causing panic in the city. It is also straining resources. The GCPD is killing bad guys, but then they come back to life. Even a condemned man who dies in the electric chair comes back to life. Batman saves whom he can, but he can't keep up with the chaos. They find that there's another coded message in Reich's letter. Because Batman destroyed all the Lazarus pits, Raish cannot come back to life, so Raish has used his ancient knowledge to ensure that no one will die unless Batman builds him another pit, so Raish can eventually be revived. Otherwise, the dead will overwhelm the living. Batman heads to Japan and gets one of the magic peaches. Raish recalls traveling to America with Ponce de Leon, who was searching for the Fountain of Youth. In Florida, he found a special magnolia tree that extended life. Raish also recalls one of the first times Batman came to visit him in his secret underground lair. There was a holy man chanting a Buddhist mantra and a Lazarus pit surrounded by a garden. Batman had destroyed one of Raish's killer satellites and Raish was angry. Batman returns to the lair in the present day and finds the holy man still there and still chanting. Batman transcribes the man's chant, which turns out to be the key to decoding the Lazarus Pit's secret formula. Batman creates this pit, but creates it inside the Batcave, so he can keep an eye on anyone trying to resurrect the demon's head. And the dead finally go back to being dead. The end. Well, Well done. Thank you. So that's our story. So Chris and I are going to talk about our feelings about this story after these words from some of our friends.
Xenozoic Xenophiles. A fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. We hope you'll join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in this excellent comic series from creator, writer, and artist Mark Schultz. Xenozoic Xenophiles is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. And find us at xenozoicxenophiles.com. Welcome back. So, Chris, what did you think of this story? Well, Jerry, what I love about getting to co-host this show is not just excellent conversation with you, but that it forces me to reread some good stories that I had forgotten about or overlooked, and this was no exception. I have to admit I'm a sucker for a good racial goal story, so this one really drew me in. I love Devin Grayson's writing. I love Paul Glaze's artwork. So this was a match made in heaven. Now, that said, I don't know why I didn't recall this story as readily as the past two books that we covered, Identity Crisis and Batman Dark Detective. I just wonder if there was just almost like a glut or overkill on the market and coinciding with the movie that that might have overshadowed uh, my opinions and formations of this book. There was a lot to like here. Especially with the note of detail. When Batman initially gets the letter from Rachel Ghoul, we see that the use on the envelope is um, 1007 Mountain Drive is the Wayne Manor address. And that was first used in an episode of Batman the Animated Series, which was entitled The Demon's Quest, which of course had Rachel Ghoul in the episode. And there were also a lot of little things too. When uh, some police arrived on the scene, um, you heard uh, the squawk of Adam 12 on the radio, I which I thought, I thought that was a really cool, <laughs> really cool thing. Uh, when we went to the flashback scenes with uh, Raish, it sort of ha- evoked this uh, kabuki-style artwork, which I was really drawn with. And it's something that uh, I normally don't get into, but I thought it was really done effectively with the colors done here. And I thought that was really, really unique, especially seeing it in this particular story. Yeah. With the uh, things of things not dying, you know, that that striked a memory in with me, and I had to look this up. There was this old Stan Lee and Steve Ditko story that they did in Amazing Adult Fantasy. And it was just one of these five-page stories, and one of it was called The Man Who Captured Death. And it was a scientist who just merely didn't want to die, so uh, death is sort of taken on as this uh, dark, shadowy form, humanistic form, and he uses a machine to actually freeze death in its place. So... Now that death is captured, nothing can die. Mm-hmm. And he saw that in, well, at the risk of spoiling the story, because it's going to be a tough one to find. If you think you can find it, maybe not listen for the next five seconds. But <laughs> in doing so, uh, with nothing dying, um, hospitals are basically filling up with, with, with um, everyone staying in their bed. But uh, vaccines can't cure diseases because they, if germs can't be killed and those things are still living – and pesticides don't work on anything anymore. You've, you're going to have this uh, state of chaos. So the man comes to realize that, yes, death must exist for life to go on. So it was a really fitting Stanley story back there when that evokes some memories. I found a lot to like here. I don't know if I liked it as much as the previous books we covered, and I just can't really put my finger on why. Everything seemed to play out in place. I don't know if we had enough batman race interaction as I would have liked, but we still had that sort of chess match going on in the form of Rash's letters and Rash's letters and him leaving clues behind for Batman to solve. What did you think, Jerry? Well, I, 
I thought the art, like you said, I thought that it was really interesting. Typically, I don't like it when the art changes so drastically. And here it definitely does. It goes from the modern day to the uh, Japan. And like you said, they have this very unique Japanese uh, art style. But I thought it was really, it really worked in this case for some reason, whereas typically I don't like it. Now, the, the regular art in the modern day, it, it's really, uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, colorful. I thought it was well done. The one downside uh, is that there were some times that when they sh- uh, made Batman, showed Batman's face, he kind of looked like uh, he was drawn by Mort Drucker, the Mad Magazine artist. Oh, good call, yeah. <laughs> and Good callback, yes. And I thought it was, I thought it looked good, but I'm just so used to those mad... Um, you know the the lampooning movies, and it almost took me out of it for a moment because it made me feel like this was a Mad Magazine uh, a version of a Batman story, just for a sure. panel here and there. Sure, which I'm sure was unintentional, but that's I'm that's sure. the way it came off. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, um, you know, art wise, I thought this was terrific. Now, I thought that Raish's plan was really really interesting. You know, the fact that humans. You know, since humans die, it's like a cancer that's under control, but when they no longer die, they kill the host. I thought this is an interesting goal and an interesting way to kind of blackmail Batman into um, building the Lazarus Pit. However, I don't know if I just missed it. I read this through a couple of times. I don't know how Raish did this. I assume it had something, I guess, as Ubu's helped them. Uh, and also how, once the Lazarus Pit was built, how everybody, you know, what Raish did for people to die. I'm not sure of how that worked, so it was a little confusing to me. Did, I, did you catch anything? Did I miss something? No, you didn't, and I'm glad you brought it up because in my notes I found it confusing as well. I don't know if that was something that just merely wasn't conveyed between Grayson and Galassi with the artwork, but I have to confess there were some panels and places where I was a little bit lost in the story. Some things eventually did get explained with um, Batman talking to Alfred and subsequently in the end, but... I did find that somewhat of a hindrance where mm-hmm. things were lost, and I think that's where I'm probably going to be forced to downgrade this a little bit. Yeah, I think the more I thought about this, I mean, my first read-through, I really liked it, but the more I read through it and the more I uh, tried to figure out exactly what was going on, I realized that I think they're they're missing uh, a couple of plot points here. So another thing I really liked uh, was Alfred and his very, very dry sense of humor. And uh, I, I thought that was done really effectively here, where you know he's he's talking with Batman and he's just uh, you know uh, it, it just just how he's he's got that stiff upper lip and nothing phases him and you know he's talking about you know bringing people back to life and you know Alfred's like yeah well it's just another day in the Batcave. Yeah, I would love to see Devin Grayson just write an entire Batman-Alfred uh, exchange. It would be hysterical, and I would just love it. There's also a little bit which was conveyed, too, where Alfred's trying to uh, kill this fly in the Batcave, yes. and all the frustration he's having <laughs> trying he to... Can't uh, no, he can't, can't kill the fly. And it's just, I love how that was conveyed, just just with the way Gray, Grayson wrote it and the way Galassi drew it. it it's, a, it's a brilliant, brilliant... Uh, uh, series of panels there. I agree. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of genius in this book uh, m- that is much better than I think your average uh, bat book, but there are some pretty severe plot holes that 
keep this from being a real classic. Um, and you know, that's kind of the way that I approached approach this one. Do you have anything else you want to talk about about this these issues? No, perhaps we might get jump right to the rating because I don't think we've uh, I think we've got everything covered. Um, so. We we discussed the plan, the plot, the artwork. Jerry, yeah. uh, your rating on a battering scale from zero to five. Where are you going to go with this? So I was thinking at my original read through, I was thinking a four zero. But then with these significant plot issues, I think I'm going to lower that to a three and a half batarangs. Uh, I, I was, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this read through. I was happily surprised. I didn't think it was going to be as interesting as it turned out to be because after all, Raish isn't really in this story hardly. It's, he's in, right. he's in a letter, but, and I like the historical flashbacks. It's just, I would give it better if it was made a little more logical sense. How about yourself? What would you give it? You know, initially my rating was four, but uh, I, I gave the last two books that we covered 4.0 and 4.0. And I just, if I was going to line all these books up and say, okay, pick, you know, which one did you like, first, second, and third, you know, this would probably, unfortunately, come in third. Mm. So I don't, if I have to use that as a scale, I, I, I wanted to like this as a four, but this just didn't have the impact as the uh, past two books that we covered. And that is certainly no fault with Grayson or the artwork. There are some really good things to like about this story. Mm-hmm. But I, I, if I can go maybe, well, I'm going to land at three and a half if I can't go by three and three quarters. So <laughs> I'll, I'll go three and a half as well. Um, I think I would say this may not necessarily be a must-read for a Batman fan, but if you certainly are familiar with both, Devin Grayson as a writer and Paul Galassi as an artwork, I would seek these out because I think you'll find some nice things to like here. Yeah. Jerry, would you also consider this perhaps as a must read or not necessarily? I don't think it's a must read. Uh, I think if you like Rachel Ghoul stories, which I certainly do, and I think you do too, Chris. Uh, yes. Well, I, I would recommend that you read it, but it's not a must read. I think that it's um, just a, a regular Batman, a, a regular Good, on the good side, Batman story. Fair enough. Sounds good. All right. So we're both at three and a half. So that's where we are. So Bat Books for Beginners, this podcast, is part of the BatmanUniverse.net network. We offer all the Batman-based weekly comic book reviews, news, and some great podcasts, including the flagship comic podcast. Also, there's Everyone Loves the Drake, Batgirl to Oracle, and many, many more. If you like what we offer, please consider donating to us at the TBU Patreon account. You can find a link to the Patreon account on the BatmanUniverse.net website. So there's a couple of places you can get uh, get in touch with Chris and I. And I probably, I think Chris, is probably Twitter where you can get Chris at BTO and BatBooks. That's correct. I'm also there, and you can still find me on Batgirl to Oracle for the time being. I think the episode where I review Batman 66 meets the Legion of Superheroes, I'm going to record that tomorrow, but it'll probably be out before this podcast comes out. So it's interesting how fast we do these in advance. So that's where I uh, am. You can find me on Twitter at BTO on BatBooks. Now, Jerry is also on Twitter. And, Jerry, where can the listeners find you on Twitter? I'm at Professor Frenzy. So I cover my favorite DCU books as well as I I do some Dark Shadow stuff. I also read some indie comics that I talk about. And uh, we do some live tweeting of horror movies. Chris and I both do it at uh, Svenguli on Saturday nights. 
Yeah, I hope you all join us there. It's a lot of fun. And I would be remiss if I didn't give a plug to Jerry for his awesome written reviews on the Batman Universe website. If you want to see some really well-thought-out, concise, excellent written reviews in written form, please check out Jerry there. Thank you. Uh, Today I'm writing my last Gotham Academy review. Oh. Yeah, it's very sad. But you still got Mother Panic, yes? I still have Mother Panic, yep. And Batman 66, of course, has ended, so, uh, so hopefully that'll come back. Yeah, and hopefully we can do the show when the animated movie comes out with Two-Face. We should maybe do a special Ooh. episode. That'd be a lot of fun to do. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. All right. So uh, we also, on Twitter, Chris and I are both on Twitter, and we also uh, listen to other podcasts, and we uh, you know get involved with, with that kind of thing. Now, one, one that we will listen to is Cosmic Treadmill. Uh, that's Chris Sheehan, who's on Twitter at Ace Comics, and uh, at Reggie Reggie. So the two of them do a terrific podcast, and they discuss classic comics in great detail. And even if you don't like the comics, you'll probably have fun listening to them. Now, of course, we have our friends the Sutherlands that Chris and I uh, have uh, have been doing some some work with. Can you you want to tell them a little bit about what we've been doing with the Sutherlands? Yes, in a forthcoming episode of their excellent podcast, Warlord Worlds, which examines the work of Mike Grell. A future episode of Warlord Worlds coming up soon will have myself and Jerry <laughs> guesting on Warlord Worlds. I still can't believe it, but I we know. had a great conversation, and that's where we reviewed Batman Mask, which is coming up on its anniversary. Now, has it been 20 years? I, I think, think so. I think it's the 20th anniversary of Batman Mask, wow. so that's going to be a special episode of Warlord Worlds. We hope you check it out. We had a great time uh, so visiting fun. with the Sutherlands, and we had it was just a blast to be with them. Uh, great conversation, great people, and we really hope you like uh, that episode that we did, and you, we hope you look for it. Yeah, definitely. Oh. Now, also, with respect to Twitter, we had some nice Twitter likes and retweets from our last episode most recently. Mm-hmm. We got likes and retweets from Griff at Real J Griff. Bill Beer at Gotham Night 13 from the Too Old Too New podcast. Christopher Davis at Chris David, and no, I'm not mispronouncing that. That's how he spells it. <laughs> Longbox Crusade at Longbox Crusade. Of course, Reggie Reggie at Reggie Reggie. Trekker Talk at Trekker Talk. DS at RS, and that's at DS and RS, and that's Darren Resolin. And they also uh, are part of the Rad Adventures at Rad underscore Adventures on Twitter. They do Xenozoic Xenophiles yep. at Xenozoic Xenophiles, which looks at uh, the great work of Mark Schultz and the Cadillac and Dinosaur series. Uh, they also Trucker Talk, again, uh, <laughs> with Ron Randall in the Adventures of Mercy Sinclair, another Darren and Ruth production. They were there. Now, this is unique because... Uh, Warlord Worlds, which is hosted by the Sutherlands, they gave a retweet to our podcast. And upon the retweet, we got a nice message from um, Twitter from Bob Buster at Bob Buster 3 who tweeted us back saying, I wish I had this, referring to our podcast, when I was getting into Batman. So I thought that was a really great shout-out. you know. And hey, thanks, Bob. We really aim to please. So I really appreciate your nice feedback there. Yeah, we also uh, got a nice uh, like and retweet from uh, Randall Andrews and from uh, the former podcast that we mentioned, uh, Dee Barant at Dee Barant, uh, the Batman Universe at Batman Universe, Robert Lewis at Rob Lewis 1157. And I want to give a special shout out to Robert because he gave a nice, uh, he, he went on Twitter to promote uh, supporting the Batman Universe on Patreon and he proclaimed that on Twitter. So that's a nice right. shout out for Rob Lewis there. Thank you very much. And we also got a nice like from the Tim Drake podcast and our family podcast at ELTD podcast for everyone loves the Drake. Awesome. Thank you one and all. Thank now, you. Yes. 
Jerry, we had some typical difficulties with the release of our last episode, but we did get a nice email from the aforementioned Darren Sutherland, so I'd like to read it right now. Ah, oh, great. Hi, Jerry and Chris. I want to commend you both for your professionalism in your review of Identity Crisis on the latest episode. That was very difficult material to cover, and I could hear the struggle in your voices as you shared your comments. Thank you. Yeah, it was a little bit of a heavy subject matter for us. Yeah. Darren goes on to continue. Personally, I like the characters of Ralph and Sue so much that just the thought of this story is difficult for me. But one of the great things about your show is finding the balance on each storyline. And I did agree with many of your positive comments you shared. And well, as the more difficult parts of the story, excellent job as always. Signed, Darren. Well, thank you, Darren. That's really high praise from you, especially uh, the professionalism and, and just hearing how all smooth your podcasts sound. Wow. <laughs> That's really I praise. So thank you very much for writing. We really appreciate your feedback. And if you overlooked anybody with a uh, feedback or Twitter likes and retweets or mentions, please let us know. We'll make sure we correct that and get that for our next show. Thank you. Terrific. Thank you. So that's all we have for today. Please join us in two weeks when Chris and I will cover Robin to Kill a Bird. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And thank you for listening to Bat Books for Beginners. <laughs> Hello, Bat Friends. We have a podcast for you. Bat Books for Beginners by Chris and Jerry, too. Gotham is a city where the sun doesn't shine. We'll light up the story arcs and have a good time. Join Chris and Jerry on Bat Books for Beginners. They break down the Batman story arc so you can invest your lunch money wisely. Part of the BatmanUniverse.net family of podcasts. The Batman Universe. Batman.